Welcome, I'm Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki in Memoriam podcast. This podcast is created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute, New York. Penderecki in Memoriam podcast unveils a multifaceted portrait of Krzysztof Penderecki with commentary from musicians, colleagues, radio programmers, and writers who lend insight and memories of Poland's greatest modern composer. This podcast is part of Penderecki in Memoriam Worldwide Project, honoring the life and legacy of the great composer. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Osmo Vanska has been music director of the Minnesota Orchestra for 17 years, and since last year he's also led the Soul Philharmonic. Recognized for his compelling interpretations of varied repertoire and with an energetic presence from the podium, Vanska's democratic and inclusive style of work has been key in developing long-standing relationships with several orchestras around the globe. With over 20 album recordings under his belt, Maestro Vanska's tenure in Minnesota also includes leading and mentoring young composers, conductors, and musicians, as well as participating in various educational outreach projects across the U.S. Maestro Vanska has conducted a wide variety of Christoph Penderecki's works, including the Concerto for Violoncello and Orchestra No. 2, the Chaconne in Memory of John Paul II, and the Double Concerto for Violin, Viola, and Orchestra. Osmo Vanska is here with us to discuss the great Polish composer, Krzysztof Penderecki. Hello, Osmo. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hello. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Maestro, where did you first meet Penderecki, and what were your first impressions of the great musician? It was sometime when I was a musician, a clarinet player with the Helsinki Philharmonic, or even earlier than that. I thought something about the very modern composer and then little by little started I know more and more. Finally I met Mr. Penderecki in Nantali Festival in Finland like uh, two or three times when I was working there with the Lahti Symphony Orchestra and uh, between those years since I was a young musician when I learned to know more about him I think that the later works are speaking more to me than the very earlier. Now, the Chaconne in memory of John Paul II is a piece that you've conducted many times, and it's the final part of the Polish Requiem. In honor of John Paul II's charismatic personality, Penderecki's idea was to dedicate each movement to people or events related to Polish history. Yes, I think that remarkable idea about Penderecki is that he was always a Polish composer who got a lot of inspiration about Polish history. Like whatever he wrote, there is always this kind of very positive sign that we know where he was coming from. And Jarkona. Uh, so I have done the string version of that. I think that there is a bigger orchestra version too, but every single time I have done it, I have tears in my eyes. It connects so well, like some modern elements and some very old elements, and is making this kind of collective feeling of sorrow for everybody who is in the hall, the players and the listener. 
During his nearly 50 years of work, Penderecki has continued the Baroque tradition of counterpoint and variation in a new way, and I believe Penderecki, who worked on the Chaconne for over 20 years, wrote a number of different arrangements for the piece, the last being for six cellos in 2015. Yes, he found a very smart way to connect his music to old, you mentioned Baroque music. That's one thing for sure. then maybe some more religious connections and colors you can find from his music. And then definitely it was also modern at the same time. And I think that is the secret why he was a great composer, that he gave us something about our experiences or our memories. Everybody who is listening or performing that music, we know that we have heard some part of that. But at the same time, then he added something which is from today or whenever it was written. So there was a fascinating combination about old and new. And I think that when I'm performing that, I feel that I'm connected to some very, very old traditions. At the same time, I'm connected to the things which are happening right now. And that made Pendereski very, very great compost. And this is a very dignified, emotional and mournful piece with many twists and turns and resolves into a calm bass low pizzicato before the pitch rises again and then finally slows down to the end with that mournful viola. One review noted that the piece is a synthesis of the European musical tradition and is a manifestation of Penderecki's device of strong emotional feelings within a clear architectural shape, but with a flexibility in time. Do you think when they refer to time, are they referencing that freeness over the bar line? Well, yes, I think that what you just read about is so well said about his music. There are many layers, and it's not only like in one beat or two beats, but those layers, they are limited, and something starts, and the other layer starts a little bit later, then there might be a third or fourth layer. In some ways, they are living together, and that makes alive. The music is never with the blocks, still going on when the new layer starts, and then anew. It's, in some ways, I would like to say that it's like, a, I can see some water there, Water is flowing all the time and it's, it doesn't stop now and then, then the next part of water goes there because they are always like blended and mixed together. That's my impression about Penderecki's music.
Now I wanted to also touch on the double concerto. This was a commission from Vienna's Musikerein and marked the society's bicentenary and provided Penderecki an opportunity to try out an idea suggested to him by the violinist and violist Julian Racklin, who wanted a work in which he could play and record both solo parts. Do you think this was a very challenging piece for Penderecki to try? Well, I don't think that he wrote anything which is simply easy to play. I think that all his music is in some ways complicated and uh, this kind of tension comes from those things which are happening almost together. And he's always writing music which needs good playing, demanding musical talent. So if I may tell my story about the Doppio Concerto, I had a chance to play it or to conduct it many, many times. It was 2017 when the Curtis Institute Symphony Orchestra went on tour to Europe. And we played places, we started in, in Helsinki, we played Berlin, Dresden, London, Salzburg, Vienna. And the soloists were Benjamin Smith, Roberto Diaz, alumni of the Curtis Institute. That was uh, my chance to learn and to get deeper and deeper to this music, which obviously happens when you play it many times. And to be honest, I didn't know how it was commissioned and how it was written for one player. But I can see now, when you told me the story, that it was one more challenge for a composer to write piece so that it's playable that way too. But I have to say that I, I didn't feel any limits or anything which was a way of music making when I performed that with those two great soloists. been very few compositions in this configuration. Mozart's Symphonia Concertante in E-flat major is probably the best-known example. Max Bruck and Benjamin Britten have also written pieces in this form. But do you think that there are relatively few compositions due to this type of difficulty in the configuration? Yeah, I don't know any other piece which has done this way. And it's quite a remarkable question. Why not more? Because it's obvious that the viola and the violin, they are speaking so well together because practically speaking, it's the same instrument. One is a little bit higher, one is a little bit lower, but still like the same sound color. Yeah, it's a good question. Why there are no more pieces for violin and viola? <laughs> Thank you. 
Then, of course, the piece begins with these two interweaving types of expression, the melodic, romantic conversation between the violin and the viola in the andante and grave sections, first playing harmonics, then pizzicati, and then presenting their full sound accompanied by the strings, and then the vivo section introducing that festive yet demonic sort of atmosphere with the familiar Penderecki motifs, such as the triplets in ascending semitones, sort of a trembling sound, almost like a scherzo. Yes, I just took the score out for this conversation with you, and it's obvious when you are saying those things, and I am, I am reading the, the score at the same time, yeah, you have done your homework very well. It's exactly how you are describing the piece. I think that just to start the piece with some sort of cadenza for both soloists, then to add the orchestra later, that is very unusual because how many concertos are there where the orchestra is doing the introduction and, and then the soloist or soloists are starting later. So this is very unusual way to start, but it also at the same time, it grabs your mind really to listen when two of the soloists are playing alone. If there is nothing which is covering them and also a very demand a starting point for the soloists also without warming up you just go and you do, and, and you are in the spotlight immediately. And then, of course, it culminates in this tuneful basicalia, where the instruments unite, performing in sort of one melody in octaves, and then interrupted again by those cadenzas, which go on for quite some time. Yeah, that basicalia is very, very good example about what we spoke earlier, putting old music together with new ideas and, and in this case the doppio concerto it's like you start from the new part and then near the end you come to somewhere which might feel very cozy and warm and you come to the place where you have been before so i, I think psychologically that's a nice way to give a place for the listeners and the performers also to feel that now we are done and now we are relaxing with something which is familiar. And the viola seems in no way to be subordinate at all to the violin in this concerto. And I believe Penderecki suggested in a radio interview once that the viola has an even harder part to play than the violin in this piece. Yeah, you are absolutely right about that. Roberto Diaz, who is actually the director of the Curtis Institute, is an excellent violist. He was, I think that his last orchestra job was a principal viola at the Philadelphia Orchestra. He said sometimes when we had the rehearsals where the piece wasn't true, that yeah, it's a real concerto for the viola. How, how often it could be that the violin is like a king and then the other, other instruments might be like a little bit less, would not say important, but definitely the W concert has very, very strong part for 
for the real and difficult. Over the many years, what would you say more than anything else you've learned from being exposed and working with Penderecki's music? And what are your recollections of last March 29th when the great composer died? Yeah, of course, the news in March made me sad. One of those great, important composers had gone. But when we are speaking about the composers, the good thing is that the music is not gone. We can have his strong voice all the time from the recordings and concert halls. So that is some sort of extra gift which is included to all great composers. They have left, but they haven't left when we have the music. I'm just thinking about how he was I think that everything he wrote had very, very strong emotions always. It wasn't some sort of background music, never. If we think about how his music was used in the movies, we know that there are some really great directors, Martin Scorsese, David Lynch, Stanley Kubrick, William Friedkin. They didn't want to use that music if it wasn't powerful. And I, I think that it's also a great thing about that it was a music Penderecki wrote for performances, like a real concert music. And then those directors wanted to use that music in their movies. So I think that it's a good sign about how powerful music Penderecki wrote. So all those kind of things, as I said earlier, it's often the case that the composer should find his or her way to writing something which might go, as I said earlier, like an angry young composer trying to show that, hey, give me some tension, I am here. Penderecki had that part in his music, and then I think that he got deeper and deeper with his composing. And then finally, I think that there are a lot of tears with all the big pieces. I mean, those pieces which we are hearing again and again with pieces we love. So the whole life is there in his music. There is music for good days and there is a lot of his music for bad days. And I think that sometimes music for bad days might be even more important because it helps us to go through those dark situations which we might have in our lives. And then it's easier to see that sun is still shining when I didn't see that during my sad times. Maestro Osmo Vanska. 
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss the great Polish composer, Krzysztof Penderecki. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure and gave some warm thoughts about Mr. Penderecki and his music. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki In Memoriam podcast, created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute, New York. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Shah EAM for sharing Krzysztof Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Make sure to subscribe. Subscribe.